0: Hi I'm Alan. I'm Brent.
1: And we are here for episode 50 5-0. 50. Si the golden anniversary. Brent, I got you a present.
0: Did you? No. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, before we go on, thinking of presents, like you Why could, will we go on? You, you couldn't have even gotten me <clears throat> coffee. Like what the hell? How do you work in this building with a broken coffee machine?
1: I use my little itty-bitty legs and I go up the stairs where they have two coffee machines.
0: That's a good solution. Yeah. Except for the whole going upstairs.
1: I'll tell you what, (laughs) the B and A-B testing is not for brains.
0: It is also not for burning unnecessary calories.
1: So, (laughs) So, did you ever think, once upon a time, years ago... Brent and I would give each other crap in these test architect group meetings, um, which really kind of sort of wine fests. and
0: I which was really the who was it was, really who, who was, it? It was like it was
1: like Michael Hunter. or Somebody said you guys should record your conversations. <laughs> I said yeah, we'll do a podcast. And those then, were amusing. And then we started one, and then we um, and we still have one. So let's get going. One comment we had after the last podcast, which was episode 49.
0: It was essentially WTF on the TLAs. Yeah, WTF on the
1: TLAs. TLAs, those three-letter acronyms, those abbreviations that every corporation flies around. One, I don't know if you changed jobs. It's been a couple of years now. But yep. whenever you go to a new job, people start talking and they all understand each other. And you go, what the heck are they talking about?
0: It takes a. It took me a good three months on the current job to get up to speed on the TLAs.
1: Yeah, and sometimes.
0: And now I'm generating them. <laughs> yeah, it
1: gets a little ridiculous. So, a couple that we let's see if we can remember um, all the ones we talked about. So, we mentioned uh,
0: SRE. Yes, service reliability and Eng- or engineering team.
1: Uh, typically, site reliability engineer. Which is what – the term came from the, – the role was invented at Google where they call it a site reliability engineer. And actually, I can really recommend uh, Google's book on site reliability engineering. That's the, the name of the title. I'll have to ask uh, – the na- the Did I say the name of the title? That's the name of the book, the title of the book. It's a good book.
0: I have to ask uh, my SRE team what he calls the S
1: – Yeah. Pretty sure it was service. That's the problem with TLAs yeah. is they can morph, right? Yeah. You know, the thing is, they can morph. Like WTF but, is. But in this is, case. It could, could mean what the fudge or <laughs> or where's the fire?
0: Windows test framework. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> if I would have written it or if uh, James Whitaker would have written that book, it would have been called How We Do Site Reliability Engineering at Google, but, you know.
0: Yeah, I have no clue what I, you you up to speed on what James is doing lately. James
1: is a professional talker to peopleer.
0: Yes, I know that. That's pretty much it. And I had lunch with him once last a year. Month. He writes a, a starts doing PR for a new no, he, thing of how to be awesome.
1: What else? What ifs? <laughs> yeah. uh, he's being James.
0: Yes. Uh, another acronym we threw out. What's well, another one we? Uh, there were DevOps, there were
1: TSGs. Okay, DevOps is uh, it's, DevOps is pretty, it's not really a TLA, it's just an abbreviation. I thought DevOps is pretty well known. You can search that one. Uh, TSGs, troubleshooting guides.
0: I actually listened to the episode and put it on the Slack channel. DRI. DRI, DRI, Designated Responsible Individual.
1: This, which is a dumb acronym, but it's, it's caught on at Microsoft. It's the guy that answers the phone when the site goes down.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, though, that everyone says DRI and no one calls it the dry. Anyway.
1: That's not interesting.
0: <sighs> ah, it is to me. Usually when, when you can pronounce an acronym, people say crap.
1: Oh, GA. Our product will have, go into GA sometime next year, and that's general availability. We used to call that RTM, but it's uh, we don't really release to manufacturing anymore. Yeah, manufacturing. They called it RTW, released to web for uh, a while, but now GA, sort of the term, it's like it's available. You can use it. All right, then. Any others? Did we get them all?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm sure people will tell us if we have. I know.
1: Well, I'm sure we'll fire a few out here. So we had—is this a, a, a mailbag question?
0: Essentially, so uh, on the select channel. So the the next topic. Uh, wait, what the <coughs> fuck?
1: What? Mailbag. Now you can go on.
0: All <laughs> right. After 50- Man, you are you are just making your editing job so much harder this episode. You know what? You would not believe how hard it is. You have you have you automated uh, the the scanning of the use? No, of, no, uh, your but, use of f
1: words. But but me dropping a few f bombs <laughs> is uh, nothing like editing out your coffee slurping and sniffling and coughing and microphone fondling. You're not warmed up yet, Brent. Brent's yeah, sli- Br- like- Brent is now eyeing his microphone stand seductively.
0: Uh, ooh, Mikey. Hey, uh, ba- <laughs> hey, baby. All right, can we go into the topic? <laughs> we have been waiting. All right, salty Gunner, uh, and H.E. Uh, Gold Henry, I believe. Henry, is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the topics that resonated with them on episode 49 is essentially your rant on um, your PMs asking you, hey, when are we going to ship? When are we going to ship? When are we going to ship? And, and the sense that only the front end shipping is the only thing that matters. And it occurred to me, and I wrote it in the Slack channel, I'm like, oh, crap, I was too busy um, joining Alan in the, man, PMs are stupid, uh, party, <laughs> um, and realized that, no, there's actually, there is a solution. It's not um, simple because it's a system problem, but there's a solution, and I said, okay, well, we, we can certainly attempt to talk to that on episode 50.
1: Well, talk about your solution, and I'll talk about mine when I feel like interrupting you.
0: Okay. All right, so... First and foremost, why are the PMs all hot and bothered about shipping the experience? Is that a
1: rhetorical question? You'd like me to answer?
0: Go ahead and answer. He was expecting the answer rhetorical. <laughs> I,
1: was, <laughs> I, I was expecting rhetorical. Uh, there's in general, uh, it's because it, it's visible. It's that, and I'll go ahead and go into my part of the answer here. Is there's a nice I like quadrants and diagrams. There's a quadrant of of visible and invisible and features and bugs or or we'll call it bugs for now. Yep. But you have visible features. That's you can see it, it gives me new value, it's really cool. You also have visible bugs. Oh, this doesn't work right. Then on the other side of the quadrant, you have invisible features, which are architecture and things underneath and how you do your protocol handling, etc. And then this whole pile in the corner of, uh, and actually actually, the services are kind of there too. They're not visible features. They're super important, but they're not visible. And then in that bottom corner where you have invisible uh, bugs is just where your tech debt lives. Right. So, uh, But this, this is, is a, all an engineering perspective.
0: What about from a customer perspective?
1: Customers don't care whether you have two services or 12 services or 150 services they want their pretty little
0: UI to work more importantly they want their problem solved like and, and if the pretty UI doesn't solve their problems then they're not going to use the pretty UI you
1: are correct right
0: the um for once <laughs> the quality from a customer point of view it's it's as as all of our listeners are well aware, is, is multifaceted. Um, but first and foremost, customers want their problems solved. Right? Uh, we were talking about teams. Right? What's, some of the, what's the number one hypothesis for, for a customer solution for teams?
1: Rephrase your question in the form of a question I understand.
0: <laughs> what... Problems this team solve for customers? Uh, team collaboration. Okay. Or team digital collaboration. Right. Your product is an experiential product. Correct. Right. It is not like a SQL Server or any actual server product where right. where the architecture itself is the solution to the problem. The architecture in your case is an implementation towards a problem solution. Sure. Right? Um, In a nutshell, why PMs are all hot and bothered about this is because it's the experience that sells the product. No, I agree. Right? Now, the other thing that was talked about a lot in the Slack channel is, hey, uh, they're cramming in a bunch of features. Uh, the architecture can't stand that up right we have six months uh, I'm, I'm now making up stuff but we have we have six months of work to put into our back end in order to be able to handle the scale for um, the front end right and it's when I saw that 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 long-term Thinking around what the plans were for the back end in, in the hypothetical example on, on the slide channel I realized, oh crap, this is a B-duff Big design up front What appears to be super common is still uh, To design your architectures With a big design up front With an architectural layering model And what doesn't appear to be common yet is sort of how to adapt the system, uh, the system of developing product, so that you're delivering vertical slices uh, in an emergent design fashion.
1: You are correct in the general sense. There are other dynamics on our team that, for job preservation, I won't go into. But, <laughs> but in general, that's why these things. That, that's why these views come this way. Yes.
0: Yeah, So it takes a lot of effort. I like uh, the. There's two really good sources uh, combined together that really uh, help. People understand the direction. It's a system problem, so so there's no real magical do this and, and that stuff happens. Um, but if you if you look at Eric Reese's book, something we've talked about a lot here, we have as well as um, pretty much anything from the Popendikes. Oh yeah. Um and. and if you can connect the dots between these two topics, or these these two um, subject matter experts, then and connect it to the context of your business, you should be able to move forward. I, I can go into more detailed in examples, but you read Eric Reese's book a mm-hmm. couple times. Do you remember the concept of a concierge MVP?
1: Yes, I do.
0: It's called a concierge MVP because the only thing that is Solid is the front end. They they bolt on the back end on a as needed basis, but a lot of the a lot of the stuff is literally the guy behind the curtain. So there there will be people in some like I fail to remember the concrete example from from Reese's book, but essentially if you go to Teams and there's something that's supposed to there's uh, experience acts like it sends an email, but that's act- actually not hooked up. Then there would be a physical person behind the scenes that sends the email. Okay. Now, why is that important? It's important because when you ship these services, at least in Reese's concept, you're trying to come to a decision on, are we going in a valuable direction? Okay. So having a... a Shipping an MVP to a couple hundred people and having one guy for a couple of weeks forward emails manually is cheaper in the grand scheme of things.
1: It's a way of seeing if they want to send email, if they're going to use it. Right. It's, it's a cheaper way to evaluate
0: that. Be, right. Um, and it's the same thing with a lot of the data database architectures are expensive.
1: No, no, I get that, right? and that, that makes a ton of sense. You want to. Uh, the part I like about that a lot where we've honestly failed in a few cases is, which is a little, when you're doing this sort of a V1 thing, it can happen a little bit more. But we want to, I totally believe that you just don't get value from your engineering effort until the customers have validated and tried out what you're doing. And, and so if you need to hack together some things on the back end or have a guy behind the curtain, yep. to give them that experience, see if it works. That's great. Yes. The- where we've, uh, there's a term I've used, but I probably can't, I can use it on the air, but when you are building a product and it's all for yourself and you keep on adding features and features, but they're really things that you want and you've never validated them, you know what I call that? What? Technical, i will call it self-satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> Because you really, you're just, and uh, seriously, if you're not using the customer, if you're not involving a partner, you're just playing with yourself. Right. It's, It's not the most appropriate metaphor, but it's the one that comes directly to mind when you're just focusing inward on trying to make a product and thinking just in your own mind that it's the right one for customers without getting any validation from them.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the the data phase that Steve Rowe uh, invented on, on the episode a uh, few episodes back, which is the the data affirmation phase, which is, I only trust the data as long as it agrees with me. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. Um, Wouldn't you also call that confirmation bias? It's absolutely confirmation bias. Um, I just noticed that we that's one thing that's why to do it that's what that's what Reese's thing is saying it's yeah. like hey there's an ROI here do what's cheap to figure out whether or not there's a there's a viable investment now the Poppendike um, principle that I want to pull in
1: I like that the Popendike principle
0: um, is so Mary in particular lists out Seven different principles around what makes something agile, okay. and um, but her principles aren't. That's not quite right. It's it's sort of principled rules of how to go about agile, and one of the ones that I'm most fond of that I that resonates with me on this topic of emergent design is something known as deferring commitment, and. You know, what that specifically means is from a, from a technical standpoint, you defer any major decisions until the last possible responsible moment. Yep, absolutely. Right, and in, in, an example, um, when I first introduced this to my first Agile team when I was in Bing, um, I had a whole bunch of uh, developers coming to me saying, "Hey Brent, I was thinking about this design, and I would like to add this thing because somebody might want to one day oh, fill in the blank." That just sends shivers
1: up my spine. Right.
0: I actually, I actually, um, when I when it had occurred with enough of my staff, I pulled together a team meeting and I said. All right, guys. From here on out, anytime someone comes to me with with anything that contains the words "someone might want to," just realize that the answer is no. <laughs> think think about what you're trying to to actually ask for, and then here's more than likely my my response. Okay, um, I told them. Um, Pointing them out to the defer commitment, and I said, "What this means is, we're not going to implement anything under the premise that someone might want to one day. We, um, as I as as you know, anyway, um, part of." How I do Agile, before I declare done, we do a process called customer validation. So we actually go talk to the customer and validate that, we, that the reason why we built it is um, it's solving the problem that we intended it to solve. And we do that by not theorizing, by actually talking to a customer or looking at instrumentation. But I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, you might be right. But you are not to implement it. What you are to do instead is re-arc the design of your uh, what you're doing right now such that if you are proven to be correct, we can shift to that design in moments. Sure. right. So it's about making the architecture adaptable. I
1: had a very similar conversation yesterday. We had someone come to our team and say, hey, we need to do this feature. We own a little bit of the product features around uh, how we deploy rings. And without going into details, someone came uh, from one of the teams and said, hey, we really need to build this feature because customers are going to want it. And immediately, my team's well-trained. Even the most junior guy on my team says, what customers are asking for this? And (laughs) And they said, well, no customers are asking for it yet, but they're going to want it. How do you know they're going to want it? Well, because we, we think they need it. These are, I mean, actual quotes. And he's so well-trained. He says, okay, let's do this. Let's uh, go ahead and not do anything that will block this from happening. But let's just hold this for two weeks. And we'll see if any, if any questions come in about this. It's all ready to go. We can turn it on. But there's definitely more important work to do right now. So let's just not do this now until we know that it's really needed. Right. So it was perfect example. It's like it's – like, and in my case, it's like you have this mountain of stuff I know you need to do. I know – why are you even asking about how are you off in the weeds of I we think customers are going to need this? Because I have work I know that is much more important. We don't have time right now for, for you thinking about what
0: customers want. There is um – Wait, you don't want to, you don't want to completely shut down exploratory ideas. No, no, no. Which is not what you're saying. You're no, saying
1: it remains in the backlog.
0: It will remain in the backlog, and um, what? Uh, actually, I'm glad you brought up backlog. So backlog grooming is is a key part of being able to improve this this front end problem, um, by. Uh, by having, so for example, uh, there is a system called um, WSJF, Weighted Shortage Job First. You can look at WSJF on the internet and figure out the equation. Okay? Um, but it's very equation driven. That And the key aspects of it is it cleverly combines time criticality, business value, and the cost of doing the work so that you have, you can then order your backlogs by business ROI, um, and dynamically. The, um, in this particular case, when you go through a backlog grooming, right, uh, the scenario you just brought up, um, we would revisit it in that couple of weeks and plug in a new business value number if we have proof uh, of some degree that that this is something that's viable
1: one of the advantages again to echo what we talked about previously and eric reese is now that we have customers and a few hundred thousand of them we, it's much easier for us to make those decisions and see, is this really something customers are asking for versus something I think they're going to want? And of course, uh, someone will always come back with, well, if your Henry Ford would have worked that way, he just would have got faster horses.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Henry Ford's quote is, uh, if we gave people what they wanted, what they wanted, or no, no. If we asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Right, right, right. But um,
1: again, so that's that's used as defense for this. Well, well, we need to we need to innovate. I'm I'm a lot like Steve Jobs, I, so I want to. That's what I say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So customer data trumps intuition
0: every time. Well, and the thing is, is that you don't have to make it an us versus them. Like the, my answer to that would be, hey, look, we have a system in which we are going through and we're building things in terms of a validated ROI for the business. And we're working on most ROI for the business first. So, you know what? Sorry, your item great idea dude even if it's a stupid idea it's always best to say great idea however the situation is this is intuition driven these other ones that are data driven are higher priority and one day maybe we'll we'll work through and we'll only be working off of intuition driven ones and yours will be top of the stack dude um but do you lie all the time to your employees Uh, that's not lying yeah,
1: one day we're only going to do intuition-based features? I said maybe.
0: <laughs> um, <coughs> it, it has never occurred in, in, in any period of time that I've seen in my career. Um, the But the other thing, too, is... But you know what? One of the things we really need to do as a team is make it low friction to get this data on these these fantastic ideas. Like, this guy's trying to come up with uh, an argument. He's got an intuition. He's kind of using the old-school waterfall way of getting this on the backlog. And you're basically saying, yeah, that, that ship doesn't sail anymore. You can't get to where we're going from where you're at. We can beat
1: this dead horse a lot, but it was just... This one wasn't... It was... It was a great idea here, and I'm holding up my tunnel vision uh, glasses. Uh, One challenge, we talk about systems thinking a lot here. Yep. And this particular problem, um, particular solution, particular feature looking for a home, uh, there were uh, scale and distribution and test ramifications that were a huge part of making this change that just weren't thought of. So there was there was more to it,
0: but the, the, the issue is is that this guy is trying to get it booked into end in end. yeah, and what the where I would have pushed back on that is say no, let's figure out how to do a um, uh, a spike and a prototype. Let's figure out how we do a a low impact AP test of of whether or not customers will actually value your thing. Mm-hmm. So this is where I would have, have taken... You have a h- hundreds of thousands of users now. How do, you, how do you A-B test with just a few thousand and do something concierge to prove out this feature? Sure. And, and then the next thing is how do you make A-B testing a feature for your product? And how can you tell... Via
1: some sort of monitoring, or what's your metric? What's your KPI right. to determine the business value of doing this? Is this how is this providing value, and how are you measuring that value?
0: Yeah, the um, I actually have this discussion with with my own team quite often. Now, um, we spend a lot of time building pilots and prototypes, okay, because um, much for the same reason, like I. One of my most used speeches is the pivot or persevere speech. The <clears throat> we will build prototypes. And I have a, every now and again, I have a couple people on my team going, this, the performance of this is going to blow and the scale of this is going to blow. We really should spend the next three months. And I'm like, stop. We don't know anyone's going to use this. So let's get... I, I get... That that you want to build something that you're proud of, and I want you to build something that you're proud of. But let me ask you: if I spend those four months and we release this and we found found that no one uses it, have you built uh, something that you're proud of? That just makes my heart sink. I'd be. I just feel like
1: I would. That, that's depressing.
0: Yes, I'm like no. Let's let. Um, Get something out there. Let's be transparent in terms of what it is. Let's find a set of early adopters that, are, that aren't allergic to, you know, bugs or perf issues, and let's prove that this is something that, that solves a problem before we go and solidify it, right? And we will, right? That's, that's the other thing. You also have to be careful that you don't have too many prototypes in flight Um, that you can't scale to solidify the ones that prove out to be positive, right? That that ends up just creating just hordes of technical debt. Indeed.
1: Hey, I want to go on to another subject, if that's okay? Yes. You all right with that?
0: Yes. Let me just pause here a second. All right, so while you're doing that, what I'll say in a nutshell is concierge MVP realize that the experiential stuff is important, uh, on backlog grooming. One thing I didn't mention is, uh, I have a rule on my team. Whenever we go through a backlog grooming, no more than one third of the total cost of the team can be on pure arch- architectural Okay. because pure architectural isn't what improves the brand.
1: Correct. Okay. Hey, do you remember... No. Yeah, you're almost as old as I am. Do you remember uh, a long time ago I gave you some questions off of a test certification quiz? I do! Not going to do that today. Uh Uh-huh. But instead, I have some questions (laughs) off of a sample CSM certified scrum master test for you.
0: Okay, looking so forward to it. It's a
1: ten question quiz. I'm going to skip the ones that have long answers, just to, for
0: brevity. Okay.
1: But uh, we'll kind of go through this. Um, are you ready, Brett?
0: I uh, probably
1: play along at home. Feel free. Write your answers. Are these down. fill
0: in the blank, multiple choice? Well, Those
1: are multiple choice.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. These are
1: multiple choice, and we'll we'll go over your answers, and then we'll go then at the end. I think we get uh, like uh, uh, some explanation. Okay. Okay. Some are pretty easy. Um, Involving the team in planning and estimating and providing early feedback on delivery velocity is best used to mitigate what kind of risk? Schedule flaws, requirements creep, employee turnover, or poor productivity?
0: All right, do that one more time.
1: Involving the team in planning and estimating and providing early feedback on delivery velocity is best used to mitigate what kind of risk? Schedule flaw, requirement creep, employee turnover, or poor productivity?
0: Schedule flaw. Question
1: two. Which of the following is the best approach for estimation? Expert opinion, analogy, Disaggregation, a combination of all of the above.
0: Disaggregation?
1: That's the word on here. <laughs> expert opinion, analogy, disaggregation, a combination of all of the above.
0: I have no clue what disaggregation means in this context, so I'll just go with uh, expert. I mean, the, the right answer is probably a combination of all the above, but I'll go with expert opinion. All right. Uh, this is a
1: horribly designed web page. Um, this question's too long. I'm skipping it. <laughs> when forming an agile project team, it is best to use. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the answers out of order. Uh, best to use top management officials, highly specialized developers, generalized specialists, or all of the above.
0: I'll go with generalized specialists. <laughs> what was the first answer? The top
1: generalized specialist was the first one. So no, no. Think. It
0: was top executives or some crap.
1: Yeah. Top management officials.
0: Yeah. On a scrum. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, this one's
0: fairly easy. Scrum what, would have you fire those people.
1: What is the unit of measurement that is used to measure the size of a user story for agile projects? Function points, story points, work breakdown points, velocity points. Story points. Yeah, that one was pretty easy. I should have just skipped it. Okay. Uh, <coughs> how is agile planning different from the traditional approach to planning? Agile planning is done only once. Agile planning is non-iterative. The fuck? Agile <laughs> planning places emphasis on the plan. Agile planning places emphasis on planning and is iterative.
0: It's the last one. Yeah, but... It's not on the plan. It's on planning.
1: Yeah.
0: Ah, That one's long. Oh. So far, this isn't as funny as the ISQTP thing. No, but but wait. This is
1: the the one I wanted to lead up to. Okay. The process of testing delivered or, quote, done-done stories is known as unit testing, integration testing, exploratory testing... Or release testing. Given the non sequitur between the answers and the question, I'll read the question again. (laughs) The process of testing delivered or done-done stories is known as unit integration, exploratory, or release testing.
0: I will say in that list, it's probably release testing. And (laughs) Dear God, I hope the correct answer isn't unit testing.
1: Now, I'm going to skip the rest so we can look at the answers and discuss. Mm -hmm. All right. You've reached the end of the quiz. I'm done. Ooh, I skipped a bunch. We got 40% right, but I skipped a bunch. Okay. I I think we did well. Um, The first one we got right, involving the team in planning and estimating, blah, 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 is best used to mitigate schedule flaws. Well done. And... For which of the following is the best approach for estimation? It was an answer. The answer, all of the above. Disaggregation. I need to look up.
0: Does it? I see. There's a lot of words. There's there. a
1: source. It comes from uh, Mike Cohn's Agile Estimating and Planning book.
0: Okay. Disaggregation is probably the process of taking a large story and breaking it into smaller pieces. So. Um, At which point in time? I agree. Yeah. So. When forming an
1: agile project team, it is best to have general generalized specialists, as any listener of the podcast,
0: any of the three, all of the three know. Between those options.
1: But what I didn't know is uh, their source for Specialized that.
0: Specialized generalists would even be better.
1: Their source for that is a book that I haven't read by uh, Michelle Sliger and Stasia Broderick called The Software Project Manager's Bridge to Agility. Is in that book?
0: Nope.
1: I'll take a look at it. Story points, of course, are correct. That's also from Mike Cohn's Agile Estimating and Planning book. Um, and the planning one, also same book, same answer. Very good. Uh, we skip that one. Now, here's the one that this came up on Twitter. And I thought, what the F? Because I've read this book that they cite. The process of testing delivered or done-done stories is apparently known as exploratory testing. And <laughs> so... Then, this is, this is where the tangent happens. They cited uh, James Shore's book, The Art of Agile Development, which I have read. Okay. And I went back and looked at it again.
0: Not well known in the ET world as a...
1: No, 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 no. He, that book is really good because it talks about using expert testers for exploratory testing to help figure out, if, to help with things and where they can plug in. And, and the authors of this test made this huge freaking leap that, oh, yeah dun dun is the is the active exploratory testing which is this massive leap in kind of the wrong direction so it's just a weird again the rest of the test wasn't too bad it wasn't as crazy as the as that test certification but this question no it's and it that's just weird it's just weird right so luckily james shore um, so what happened uh, someone on twitter posted this and said this books this book doesn't get exploratory testing implying that and and I replied and, and James short was on the tweet and I replied back and said I don't think it actually says this and James short says there's no way in hell it says this <laughs> yeah because um, that book is I, I don't know if you've read the art of agile his book no it's I, I like it a lot I think it's really really well done it, it's a nice holistic systems approach to art to think
0: of about agile it. development the art of agile development. That seemed like a book that would be up my alley. Yeah, you should take a look at it. Um, it's easy to read. I like it. But exploratory <laughs> No so the so first and foremost, like you just talked through like on on Shore's book, he's like, uh No, I should not be cited as the proof that this answer is correct. Right. But the other thing from a scrum side, right, it it does the text there say, Hey, you should hire expert testers?
1: No, not here. Uh, James Shore talks about the how ex- the value of expert testers, um, okay, in,
0: in agile development. Anybody other than a dev on a Scrum team is sort of anti-Scrum. It's one of the reasons why I don't like Scrum. Um, but um, exploratory testing in this context, like telling a bunch of devs to go do exploratory testing, um, sure, it's useful. But how how do you declare done done from that? Befuddles me.
1: It is so. But there's a logical fallacy in here, and I forget which one it is. But <laughs> Brent's having tea drinking problems.
0: Yes, it started off with <laughs> having tea instead of coffee. Stupid building.
1: Couldn't walk up the stairs.
0: <laughs> so earlier we were talking
1: about Eric Reese's uh, Lean Startup book. And it would be the equivalent of me reading that book, seeing something about—I have to think of a, a good concept I can screw up from there. Um, Hummingbirds. <laughs> see what the hell? <laughs> so I read about the concierge MVP, <coughs> and and from that I make oh. Services don't matter. We just hire people on the... What we're going to do is we're going to hire a team of people on the back end to take care of everything on the back end. We're only writing a UI. Right. It's like it's massively No! That's not what I meant!
0: We are going to create the UI and connect it straight to Mechanical Turk.
1: Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah, that'll work. That's a good idea. <laughs> so it's it's like, yeah you obviously glossed through here and and again i it's a sample test, and I give the test writers a break, but if i I feel bad you're taking the c s m tests, you get to that question, you go, What the hell
0: yeah I mean the thing is is that most of these as as uh So you know I'm certified, and so a lot of these certification tests are essentially how well can you regurgitate the class that we taught you. So it'd be interesting to find the slide deck uh, for this test that presents the material in the first place, because I'm sure there's a strong chance that the ET that they've listed here is not the same sort of ET that we think of in the test community.
1: No, and again, having read the book, I know it's just like it's mentioned a lot. It's, it's brought up in, in very good ways. It's not like it's overused or used wrongly. Uh, it's just a weird leap there. And it almost sounds like they had different, because it's a sample test, it could have had different people running questions. I'm not sure what happened, but some cray-cray went on. For sure. For sure, I, and we didn't answer any other ones, but I really wanted to lead to that one, so I, um, uh, I found the test, I found the testing question, which was not cited on the internet, but I know how to use search engines, so I found the right test, and I wanted to kind of get to that question. That was my <laughs> that was my goal for the day. Not as much. Well, fun. well done, golf club. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one more question. All right, then we're gonna get out of here. Which of the following is not? One of the five core risk areas common to all projects. Really, I should have you list the five core common risk areas, but which one is not? Specification breakdown, scope creep, strategic alienation, and intrinsic schedule flaw.
0: (laughs) All right, list not one of the five core risk areas, so let's do one at a time. What's Uh, the first
1: one? Specification breakdown.
0: That is a risk area. Scope creep. For sure, a risk area strategic alienation have no freaking clue what that is.
1: intrinsic schedule flaw
0: that's a risk area as All well right. so, the, so the way I interpret
1: so, you're correct. <laughs> the reason I brought this up, like if you are looking f- if you're like have a nerd band, like you know a lot you know a nerd band
0: like angry weasel
1: No, no, a nerd band like like you uh, it's like bad synth rock. Kind of stuff These are your band names
0: Like Flacco Siegel
1: Ladies and gentlemen Specification Breakdown
0: (laughs) Strategic Alienation Rock on
1: Hey everybody We're Scope Creep This is called Lover Love Radar Booger Knocker
0: (laughs) What do you Did did the the long ass blurb there Explain what strategic Um, alienation is
1: No it's just a made up word these, this is the the disadvantage of multiple choice qu- tests are there are, you don't have to know the answer, you just have to have critical thinking.
0: Right. But in my case, I'm picking the thing that I, I'm like, yes, yes, no clue. Yes. Well, okay. Let's go with no clue.
1: And they picked like a, a, I don't even know what that means. I can't fathom what that means.
0: So alienation means rejection. Yeah. But, but I'm doing it strategically. Healing. So I'm going to strategically... Reject
1: like features? Like I'm using my strategy to reject this work?
0: Reject? Again. I don't know. Maybe customer pruning? Like, hey...
1: You can't prune the customers.
0: No, but you can... It's not nice. You can target... You can say, hey, we're not going to try to solve all problems for all people. We're going to solve... Um,
1: some of the problems for some of the people?
0: There's a phrase I use often nowadays at my current work. It is way better to make 50% of the people 100% happy than 100% of the people 50% happy.
1: Absolutely. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. And that's not a risk. And if that's what strategic alienation is, it's definitely not a risk. It's a go forth and alienate strategy things.
1: Cool. Hey, quest, um, question for you. Yeah. Did have you ever taken an electronics class?
0: I think the safest answer for me to say is no. All right. Because um, <laughs> I feel like mocking is coming.
1: <laughs> yeah. Brent just laid his phone on top of the microphone wire, so that buzzing you just heard is thing is thanks thanks to Brent.
0: Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> <Hard enough. laughs>
1: Oh, All right. You'd be great in a band. You should join Strategic Alienation and be like their sound guy.
0: Right on. <laughs> All
1: right. Okay. We are done. We did I, 50.
0: I think this is probably our... I think we do one more this year.
1: Yeah. and We have to do... Um, we will do our best of 2016 show. Right on. Well, we'll talk about our favorite podcast blogs... And celebrity presidents? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Okay, I am Brent... Not Brent Allen.
0: Yeah, and I'm Brent.
1: <laughs> Bye.